Good day, my friends. This is the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures, the show where we interview entrepreneurs and investors on the stories and catalysts of their startup successes and failures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker. Today's episode kicks off our special three-part Olympic series where we interview sports tech entrepreneurs. We're leading off with Hunter Swenson. He's the founder and COO at the company Paranoid Fan. Paranoid Fan is actually a social mapping app that helps fans navigate through their game day experience. Now, if you've ever experienced going to a game at Aloha Stadium, insert other stadium here, you know it's a crazy time. Now, that's just one use case that Paranoid Fan is seeing with their audience. And we're going to dive into Hunter's entire experience of interviewing customers, of trying out to solve some of the pain points that are involved in that game day. Now, a huge market, huge space. We talk about some other super interesting aspects of Hunter's journey. So he was an esports professional athlete, and he also was one of the first in that athletic field to get corporate sponsors, including a company you might have heard of like Toyota. He also worked for ESPN in Texas. So you guys, in this interview, we get into a lot, from the ups and downs of founding a company, getting initial customers at his startup Paranoid Fan, building this company from Dallas, and what some of his experience has been that way. You'll also find out about who Old Man Mikowski is. Just a little teaser to the end of our episode today. One key lesson I do want to highlight here is that take what you learn from your successes and apply it to your future endeavors. In Hunter's case, his Halo Sports dominance has helped him in his entrepreneurial journey. Now, Hunter is a hungry entrepreneur. It was inspiring chatting with him. I'm really grateful for Michael Keone DeFranco for connecting us. So I know you'll enjoy my conversation with Hunter Swenson. Hunter Swenson, howdy, man. Luke, what's going on, man? How are you? Honored to have you on the show. I'm doing well. Uh, how's the weather for you in uh, beautiful Dallas, Texas? Scorching hot and sunny, as per the usual. I think summer the first day of summer was two days ago, so we've uh, been enjoying long days and intense heat here in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I've heard the, uh, the summers there can be quite brutal, and I probably would not be let down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. On, the, on the flip side, you've got, you know, up north, you've got brutal winters, so you got to kind of pick your poison. It's either brutal winters up north or brutal summers down south and i'd much rather sweat than uh be bundled up and and uh have my my fingers and toes freeze so i'll take the heat <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well having lived in hawaii the last 12 and a half years i'd have to say i agree on that um well hey yeah it was it's super uh a big pleasure to have you on today so why don't you actually kick it off and we can do you can do a quick elevator pitch for your startup paranoid fan sure so my name is hunter swenson as you mentioned earlier i'm the co-founder of paranoid fan Paranoid Fan is a social mapping app that helps fans navigate through the game day experience. So we went to the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, and while we were there, we had a lot of time navigating the grounds, the stadiums, and then when we were out and about, we'd look for uh, you know places to watch the USA game, places to meet up with other USA fans. If we needed to find a taxi to leave, uh, where was that located? If we needed to buy a jersey to walk into the game with the USA kit on, where was that located? So we used Google Maps, Foursquare, Facebook, uh, Twitter, even Google Search, and uh, none seemed to really address or answer some of those questions that we had. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we built like a, a ways for sports fans where fans can, uh, on their phone, ident- identify these different points of interest and uh, eliminate some of those pain points and headaches that you can get on game day when you're looking for your friend's tailgate or uh, where the restroom might be or, or where your friends are after getting separated in a crowd of people. So we're a navigational app that makes the game day experience super easy and seamless. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Waze too because people that use your app, uh, I, I think there's like sim- – like I don't know if you, you purposely kind of took some of the similar um, – uh, visuals or the the graphic aspects of you know your your kind of uh, paranoid fan look and feel it has a very Waze esque type of UI. Is that on purpose? Yeah, so definitely we have a lot of inspiration from Waze. We're uh, my partner and I, Augustine, are both huge Waze users. Um, yeah. Traffic's not as bad in Dallas as it, as it is in Los Angeles, where I know Waze is is like a uh, an angel, uh, a godsend for for the for the folks out in Los Angeles on the four hundred five. But Honolulu, um, man, it gets pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, so we definitely took took some cues from from ways and and you look at it, you know, we we're not building a social network; it's a social utility. So you don't want to take some of the same UI cues you would from like a Twitter or Facebook because the purpose and usage case for those applications are more sedentary in nature, right? You're perusing through your timeline or you're checking old baby photos. A social utility on the flip side, you're using that while you're out of the house, while you're on the go. Uh, you're most likely strictly using your mobile device. So we want to make sure that our icons are big and friendly and cute and fun. Um, that way people can easily identify what those are um, throughout the uh, throughout the chaos that, that can be game day. So um, hmm. we've definitely studied and examined some of the differences in, in UI and UX for uh, social networks uh, and, and compared and contrasted to social utilities like a Waze or an Uber or, a, or our app, a Paranoid Fan. Yeah, and usually the, the use case is very time sensitive, right? I mean, it's like I need information and I need it now, right? And you're, you know, uh, obviously going there for a very specific purpose uh, at that time. Now, uh, I want to kind of dive into more of the, the Paranoid Fan story in a little bit. But first, I want to kind of let our audience know that, you know, Hunter, being a startup CEO might be a career down move for you after being a sponsored video game esports athlete in high school. I mean, how rad is that, bro? How was how did that come about, and what was that experience like? Man, so it's it's always I've always kind of worried since uh, since then. It's just all downhill, right? How do you <laughs> how do you surpass uh, the opportunity to get paid and, and make a living playing video games? That was that was an unbelievable sure. time, but. Um, I've always been competitive. Um, that's always been kind of what drove me and, and got me out of bed in the morning. So I played uh, high school football. And so I was getting looked at at, at a couple different universities and was doing some athletic visitations. And down the road towards the end of my senior year, my left knee had just completely uh, all but blown up. I could, I could barely walk up and down steps. So I was transitioning into college and I was uh, envisioning a, a, a life where I would be competing every day and on the field and with teammates. And um, once that was gone, it was kind of uh, shocking. There was a huge void there. So I started looking at other other ways to uh, to let my competitive juices uh, flow, if you will, and, and uh, find a new activity. And so I, I uh, naturally gravitated towards gaming because I had always played Halo and I'd always played Halo with my friends in the neighborhood, and I knew from from uh, trying to play college football that it wasn't about how good you are in the neighborhood. It was about how good you were in the state or in the country or in gaming's case, since it's all online, how good you are globally. So I thought, you know, why don't I, you know, try out and, and see what I can do here. So I went to a tournament in New York and placed 156 out of 256 teams. It was, you know, middle of the road, certainly nothing uh, pro caliber there, but I learned a lot uh, about myself and myself as a, as a pro gamer and my, my, my potential there. And I'll never forget sitting down at that tournament in New York. And I got so nervous. And so, uh, I was so, there was so much adrenaline. I was so excited that I actually lost feeling in my fingertips. So my hands <laughs> went numb. So obviously this is like the worst thing, the worst thing happened. you can imagine when you're trying the to manifestation of your nervousness. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I knew then, that. I knew then that I had this, you know, I had a capability to, you know, maybe capture or harness some of that energy and not have it distract me or in this case completely throw me off my, me off my game because I can't even feel my hands. I'm so excited. So I went back and I, I traveled to a second tournament and told myself, this is it. If I can't, if I can't make it happen, this is just, you know, it's, hey, at least I tried. So I went to Columbus and I remember getting that exact same feeling of, of energy and excitement and adrenaline. And this time I was able to just really lock in and focus and use that uh, to my to my benefit and to my advantage, so we went out and we placed fifteenth uh, uh, at that tournament, and uh, uh, top sixteen qualifies you as a professional. And we actually, I think, were seated at eleventh after the uh, the event was over. So I got my pro contract, which is just bizarre. Um, you know, the whole time my dad's kind of going, you know, this isn't real unless you have a contract. So to to bring that <laughs> back home and and uh, you know, not necessarily you know prove the prove the parents wrong, but you know, sh- show them that what, what, what we were doing was, was, was viable and it, it meant something. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, oddly enough, I'd, I'd, I'd look back and say that was one of my greatest accomplishments and something I'll always be extremely fond of because it was such a far-fetched goal of mine. And, uh, but when you really peel back the layers, you, you start to realize that to be the best at Halo is, is no different than being the best at any other set of talents or skill sets. So, I also use that and parlay that experience to 
better understand myself, like, uh, you know, as I alluded to with the, uh, the adrenaline story and really figure out, you know, if, you know, what did I do to be successful in Halo? And I know that sounds so weird. It's like, <laughs> do you really have to work hard to be a pro gamer? Yes, you do. Like there, it's as intense as, as any other, uh, set that you want to hone and, and, and practice. Um, so knowing what I did to get to that level in Halo, I just, took and, and applied it to other uh, aspects of my life and in, in, in trying to be successful and, you know, working hard and, and making sure we're doing the right things. So, um, you know, it's amazing that Halo, uh, you know, a video game that it's, you know, a hobby or a pastime for me is, you know, the foundation in my, in my, you know, in my moral value and, and my, my work ethic. And it really taught me a lot about being a good teammate communicating with other people who you who come from completely different backgrounds striving towards that common goal that unites everybody despite their their differences in background and so it was it was a perfect extension for me from from football ironically enough into gaming and and harnessing that competitive fire and uh and and making good use of it that's awesome man well i mean you know, you kind of look back at these points in your life where you're like, oh, this kind of crystallized, you know, when, I don't know, when, when the boy became a man, right, kind of thing in the story. <laughs> right. We were looking at the Hunter Swenson story uh, down the road, you know, obviously be a defining moment, a good scene in the film. But, um, you know, I, you read in, or I read in your bio, and I, I don't know if we talked about this uh, when we chatted earlier, but uh, you were actually one of the first or the first to actually go out and get corporate sponsorships uh, during your esports uh, career. So, can you maybe talk about how you got the genesis of that, and just real briefly what that ex- what your kind of pitch to them was like? Yeah, you got big yes. brands behind you. Yeah, so I knew that if I was going to do this, I, I wasn't going to be able to do it without uh, some support. I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old at the time. I was a I was a broke college kid, like everyone, like everyone else, and uh, it usually is at that point in their life. So. Um, I went after these sponsorships almost as like a form of necessity, but throughout the throughout that process, I started to put together the pieces and realize, hey, um, you know, I, I may not have as many fans as a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant, but I do have people or fans, if you will, who are super passionate about what I'm doing and my gameplay, and they follow my story and they follow the teams I'm on, and they want to and they root on the teams just like they would any other team in professional sports. So I I kind of paralleled that that similarity, um, to a sponsorship with, you know, maybe Kia and Blake Griffin to what that might look like with me and Toyota. And so I certainly didn't pitch them the, the volume of, of people at the time, but I I spoke to the quality, you know, a lot of times the people who were watching my gameplay or videos on YouTube were, you know, the elusive millennial male, the 18 to 34 year old that these brands are, you know, covet. So I, I played on, I played on that strength. And I also knew that, um, and while I was completely wrong about this, I, I didn't think that I could forever uh, sustain a, a lifestyle or you know put food on on the table for a family down the road by playing video games. Um, in 2009, that even seemed far fetched. Today, it's an absolute possibility. I mean, guys are doing yeah. incredible things with with their uh, gaming careers, but I I didn't feel like I could always play Halo. So I wanted to make sure I was I was uh, well rounded and, and not just putting my my eggs in the Halo basket and, and not just identifying myself as a Halo player. I wanted to be well rounded. So I started to uh, go after these sponsorships in an effort to uh, build some skill sets or, or take on some experience that would uh, uh, help me find success later on in life. And so I knew that in these interactions and these dealings with with corporations at the age of you know 18 19 going into a room and pitching executives um to sponsor you and give you money to play halo was was really the big picture kind of goal there was to get that type of life experience that you can't really get anywhere else so i went to uh toyota and kicker uh and red bull and said hey look i may not have a million fans but i've got a, a couple hundred thousand and they're really locked in and passionate with what we're doing and gaming and you, you really got to educate because at the time, Toyota right. you know, Kicker Audio, they, they didn't even know what esports was. So it was, a, it was a total shot in the dark, but they took a flyer on me. And at the time, as you mentioned, I was, I was the first uh, Major League Gaming Halo Pro to receive uh, an, an individual sponsorship or endorsement. And so that really laid the road for, for today where guys are uh, – man, their sponsorships are, are, are in the uh, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's insane how big it's gotten since I exited the scene back in uh, 2010, 2011. My experience in gaming and me getting that job at ESPN, um, 
you know, so I, I went to ESPN and said, uh, and this was just right out of school. So I took an internship, right? You got to start at the, at the bottom of the totem pole. But I told him, I said, Hey, look, I was, I was able to sell these sponsorships for, for gaming. No one has ever really, uh, sold these sponsorships before. This is a kind of like a new, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like a new Avenue. So, you know, give me a chance. Let me, let me, uh, let me, you know, try my, uh, let me try my hand at sales at ESPN. So they gave me that internship, which later turned into a job. So I would have, I would have never had that opportunity if it weren't for, uh, my experience as a gamer. And, and as I mentioned earlier, that was really what it was all about was finding well-rounded experiences, um, that didn't pigeonhole myself into one opportunity or, or, uh, you know, one, one path and allowed me to be flexible and, and move on to different, different opportunities or, or, or chapters in my life, which ESPN would be the next one. Um, and so at ESPN, I was working with a lot of different clients and that was probably one of my favorite parts about the job was working with directly with the clients. And so one of my clients actually, uh, used to host different meetups around the area for sports fans. So we'd have meetups with Ken Rosenthal, Jonah Carey, just different sports personalities from around the country. And so he would spend, you know, a small amount on ESPN and the ticket in Dallas to promote the event. So I was his AE as his account executive. Who put who put that whole thing together? So Augustine goes to Brazil, and that was what I alluded to earlier in the in the story. But Augustine goes to Brazil with a couple other guys on our our team, and has that aha moment where he's at the World Cup and he's kind of looking around like, okay, this is supposed to be the, the the mecca of sports experiences, and I feel like I don't I don't know where to start. I don't know where anything is. So he called me from the beaches of Rio de Janeiro and says, Hey Hunter, I've, I've got this idea for a. Uh, a sports app, uh, a, a navigational app, almost like a ways for sports fans. Here's, here's what I'm dealing with out here. Here, here are my problems and here's, here's the solution I want to develop. And so I started looking back on my experiences as a fan. And I realized that at ESPN, you get, you go to a lot of games, you'd have all access. You didn't still, even then I, I had problems navigating around the stadium or didn't really feel like there was that shared experience amongst, amongst all the fans there. And then I thought about, um, going to Cowboys games and feeling those same pain points, uh, you know, asking wh- where's where's the best place to park or find tickets, food or beer, um, or or in Arkansas, my alma mater, where we'd walk around for 45 minutes before we would find our friends tailgate on Saturdays. So I realized that the problem wasn't limited to just to just the World Cup, and it had uh, legs beyond uh, Brazil, and it was really something that could be addressed globally. And so I thought, you know what, this is. A viable enough of an idea where if if I don't do it, someone else will. And at this point in my life, I don't want to look down the road ten years and and see this you know uh, mobile mapping company killing it. Uh, you know the golden standard for venue maps, and you know all the fans you know love it, and, and everybody's using it on games. I didn't want to look. I don't want to look down the road and not be the one responsible for bringing that to sports fans when you know we brought when when we came up with the original concept. I just I felt like that was even more damning and and discouraging than leaving a dream job at ESPN. So I, I I asked myself, what can I do today that I can't do tomorrow? Well, ESPN will always be around. I don't think ESPN is going anywhere. But this opportunity, like I said, if if, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And so I, I wasn't okay with that. So that was really the driving force behind jumping ship and and after four years, uh, leaving a job where I, I had envisioned and imagined I'd be there for the rest of my life. Right. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with, um, with, when you first had the idea, you, you, know, you agreed you are going to work on it, did you, um, did you go out and do, do customer interviews? Did you do testing? Like, um, you know, kind of the, the gut reaction you had is like, yeah, this is a huge pain point for me. I know I've experienced it. How did you then kind of take the next step? Yeah, so we started wireframing the the application itself. So what wireframing is when you take screens and, and you start to design what the app would look like. So Augustine went out and he went on Upwork.com, which is a popular website to, sp- to find you know some freelance work. And so we found this developer who, after countless interviews and time spent trying to find the right guy, um, because there's some really fantastic there's some really fantastic engineers on that website. Granted, there's also some slough you got to work through, but that's just a part of the process. So we ended up finding a, uh, uh, our CTO on, uh, on Upwork, ironically oh, enough. And it was really validating when uh, our CTO, Adele, got chosen to the Y Combinator uh, fellowship program. So uh, Adele was, you know, that validates Adele as being one of the, the premier engineers in the world when you get the uh, YC backing, you know, Y Combinator. That's, 
that's a real moving force in Silicon Valley and, and what they're doing, um, what they're doing and enabling founders to, to realize their dreams. So um, that was really rewarding to see that, you know, all that time spent interviewing and, you know, going through a few guys that just weren't going to cut it, um, mm-hmm. ultimately finding the right guy and, and having him be on board from the beginning and building the concept from its inception. Um, that's really important. You know, that he's got more, uh, skin, he's got more skin in the game. He's got more of a, he's got more interest in making sure that we see this thing through having been there from the very beginning. Yeah. Now what, like, but while you were doing that in terms of, um, you know, did you guys uh, agree you and Augustine, uh, kind of how are you going to split up the roles in terms of the early founding? Okay. You're going to focus on yeah. you know, this part. How did you guys kind of do that originally? So that was actually probably one of the most uh, probably one of the greatest things about our, our relationship and our partnership was that we are complete opposites. What Augustine's good at, and uh, I'm not. And what I'm good at, Augustine's not. So there's a yin-yang working there where we don't even really have to ask each other what we're doing because we already know what, based on what the problem is or what we're trying to figure out, who's going to handle it. So Augustine has a background in engineering. He went to the uh, Air Force Academy and SMU, graduated with an engineering degree. Um, so he handles product development um, manages, uh, manages staff. And he's, he also worked at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor for, uh, or excuse me, financial trader for about a decade. So he can help. He, he also works on financing and fundraising and the negotiations and the, the building, the contracts, um, all things that I, I would just, you know, I'd be up, a uh, I'd be up a Creek without a paddle. I, it's just not, it's not my foray. So on the flip side, um, my role is in business development meeting with different teams, presenting them with the opportunities to engage with our, uh, our, our technology to make uh, the fan experience a lot more easy to navigate on game day. And so we've had a lot of success recently in reaching out to those teams. So it's really been fantastic working with Augustine because, as I mentioned, he's, he's, uh, he's capable of things that, that, that I can't do and, and, and vice versa. So it creates a, a relationship where um, you know, we're, we're dividing and conquering, right? And so yeah. we both know what our roles are, and it's very well established and well defined, and it creates a, a, a really good working relationship between the two of us because we both are on the same page uh, because of that. Yeah, and I'd say that's that's pretty lucky. A lot of times, people, you know, start companies and they don't they kind of have that uh, understanding the the uh, complementary skill sets that are required because you're you know. You got like people talk about the uh, the road trip test or you know the beer test. Like, would you actually yes. want to go on a six hour road trip with this person? Would you yes. actually invite them out and hang out for beers? Because you'd be spending a large part of your time on this. And startups are up and down. I'm sure you can you yeah. know talk through the the highs and the lows, right? Yeah, no, that was actually going to be my my next you know piece of advice. If anything, is is get to know your your co founder before you you make him a co founder, right? Can you can you go on a six hour road trip uh, road trip with him? Um, have a, have a couple beers. And that's actually exactly what Augustine and I did because of our relationship at ESPN beforehand. My goodness, we were, we had a, a relationship almost a year before we had actually started, uh, the company. So to have had that rapport and to, to trust, uh, to have that, uh, that, that trust in that other person, which is the most important thing was really uh, beneficial to us. And I, I now consider Augustine like to be like a, a big brother of mine. You know, we've done the road trips. We've, we lived in San Francisco for about a month and a half together. So, uh, you know, you, you get to know a lot about a lot about somebody when when you take on those experiences. But having had the opportunity to to, to vet that person out, if you will, beforehand, is uh, is is very uh, uh, is very important and uh, definitely something that I think every co-founder should do. Is is sure the the guy on the other side of the table might be extremely talented, but but is he a good person? You got to ask yourself that. And I think that's that's almost more important than than the talents he has. Um, yeah, absolutely. At least as that, far as you know, first order of the, first order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when when you you obviously walking away from your dream job is one thing, but you're also walking away from a paycheck, right? And so walking into a new startup, there's you know um, you know either self funding, I'd imagine, or you know getting some early investors. Can you talk about kind of that early experience and where you guys are at with the fundraising process today? Yeah, so I I, I used I, I relied on my savings to 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 start the company. So yeah, that was probably the the biggest uh, adjustment to make was was having that paycheck just disappear in a in a snap. And so you had to re, you almost had to kind of rewire yourself for you know what you know at the end of the day what what makes you feel fulfilled or accomplished or excuse me or successful and for a lot of people it's getting that paycheck because it's like a as a gamer you know I can relate it's like that amount that you get each month it's like a score you know if you get your highest mm-hmm. paycheck it's like beating your high score as a gamer that's kind of like what you associate and that's how I was um, 
and so rewiring your brain to not necessarily think of paychecks as as a measure of success, but whether or not you know somebody you've been grinding hard to reach out to emails you back. You know, you kind of have to rewire yourself as like that's like a you know a commission on a on a on a on a on a you know dealie that you had just signed with the Cowboys or whatever it might have been at, at ESPN. Um, so that was a big that was a big part of the process and. And so to take you take you through our, our fundraising process, Augustine, as a former Merrill Lynch uh, trader, had a lot of success there. And so one of his claims to claim to fame was actually investing in Tesla at about sixteen, seventeen dollars. So he uh, himself and his family, a group of family and friends included, uh, were in on that that uh, opportunity. And so when Augustine had the idea for Paranoid Fan, he, he went back to the well, if you will, and said, "Hey, look, here's you know." We got we got it right with Tesla. Here's the next big thing. I've got this idea that that really captures the the transition from desktop to mobile usage and social networks versus social utilities, where things are going with on-demand services and GPS services. I think this is the next big thing. So it wasn't very difficult to get that first uh, you know friends and family round started off uh, because of Augustine's uh, former uh, former time spent at uh, at Merrill Lynch. So that's where we're at to date. Is we've got that friends and family round um, still open? It's actually probably about to close here, right around when football season starts, um, because we've got different uh, we've got different VC firms in the valley that we've been speaking with that we feel would be uh, uh, great partners for for a Series A. And so, obviously, once for anyone not familiar with the fundraising process, once you get to that Series A point, you've got to cut off the friends and family round. You the convertible right. notes over with. So, um, yeah, probably we're gonna just going to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, we talk about, you know, this idea, and I think one of the things I think about a lot of times is this fantastic idea. Uh, the one question we ask startups a lot of times is, well, how are people going to find out about you? So when you put together a customer acquisition strategy or growth plan, you know, what has that kind of process been like for you guys? Uh, and I know you've had some, some success with events and things, so maybe you can talk about uh, some big events you've had that way. But just in general, how do you kind of think about how are people going to find out about Paranoid Fan? Yeah, so we're all about being being in the trenches, as we say, with 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 the fans. And when you when you do that, you learn a lot about uh, their behavior and, and what what their needs are. And it allows you to kind of, to formulate the the strategy and direction going forward. So what we do is we'd spend every single weekend out here at uh, in Dallas at Cowboy Stadium. Um, some cases on Saturday and Sunday because they'd host so many different uh, neutral site um, college games. You know, Arkansas versus A and M, for example, or Baylor mm-hmm. versus Texas Tech. So when we'd go out to these different games, we'd go out with a uh, brand ambassador team. So we'd have, you know, uh, we'd have we'd have a promo crew, and we'd really just look for the 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 group of fans or the guys or girls that just look completely lost. And it really wasn't that difficult to uh, to find. So we'd look for the guy who's, you know, yelling on his phone, trying to tell his friend that he's at the in the you know lot C silver truck with the Cowboys flag. How you know? How and how how the hell can't you can't you find me? And you know you kind of look around and you see a hundred silver trucks with cowboys flags and in, in, in lot C, which is just massive. So we just walk up to him and we show him a quick demonstration how you can you can pin your tailgate on the app and get send your friends uh, an invite to it. And so that would just kind of I mean you see people's eyes light up when they'd realize oh my god okay so this is okay finally like this will uh, this will get my friends to to where I am. So they download the app. So we actually had so much success just pure ground uh, hustle, if you will, that we'd have about 5,000 downloads at each of these different games we'd go to and about 5,000 5, people. using. The- yeah. So, wow. um, yeah, when you look in, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, when you, you've got a hundred thousand people at, at the grounds, it, it probably doesn't look like we did enough, but really with, you know, it's about creating those cohorts, right? Those, those small groups of users where you can analyze how they're using the app, what's most beneficial to them, what feature they're most, uh, what feature they're 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 most fond of? What uh, what point of interest has the most activity? Right, whether it's tailgates or the Uber pickup drop off zone. Where's everybody? What's everybody using the most? And so, we what do, was that kind of findings? Just curious. Yeah. So when actually, and so in fact, that was the Uber pickup drop off zone. So when we really? actually, yeah. So when we did we did our uh, official launch with the NFL at Super Bowl Fifty, we found that the uh, I think it was like sixty seven percent of people that were at the game. We're using the uh, uh, Uber pickup drop-off uh, uh, icon, pin. icon pin, yeah, on the map 
to uh, find out where that was. Because a lot of people after the game, after the game, yeah, after the game. And so a lot of people don't realize this, and and they they find out usually the hard way is that when you go to games or concerts, Uber does just doesn't show up uh, at your doorstep like they would at home. You've got to actually go to a pre-designated area to get picked up. And so a lot of times you ask, you know, staff or police. They'll just give you finger directions and point you point you down the road until you you, you find it, right? And so that's that's not very helpful. Um, so that was that was the most popular uh, that was the po- most popular pin that we had seen uh, using those heat maps uh, to to look at uh, what what the fans were finding most useful. So with with the downloads you got from kind of doing this ground game and um, you know you've you've had. Um, Obviously, success with that. I'd say 100,000, 5% of them download the app. Uh, that's not too bad. So I, I, would, uh, I wouldn't scoff at it. But yeah, you should have had 10,000. No. Right. Um, how's the re-engagement on that? Like, do you find them coming back to the app for like, and can you like map that with like other, uh, other games I go to or whatnot? Like, how, like, I guess it's most part question. How frequently do people attend games or go to sporting events that they're going to be using the application? Yeah, so that was a, that was a major. Uh, this was a major turning point for the company because at, originally it was entirely crowdsourced the information and data that was on the map. So where to where to find parking, food, tickets, beer, that was all blank at the time because we we we, had, uh, we it was a crowdsourced effort, right? And so what we realized didn't take too long, but what we realized in going out to Cowboys Stadium was that nobody wants to be the first person to the to the dance floor and uh, at their middle school okay. dance, right? But once other people are out there and, and they're they're dancing, everyone else kind of joins in on the fun. So what that meant for us was that we needed to see, we, we we learned from that that we needed to seed the map with information. We needed to map out these different venues to identify where to park or find tickets, food, beer, whatever it may be. And so we actually saw engagement go from I mean, it was like, like literally like um, five to ten percent maybe initially to forty to fifty percent once we had other venues mapped out. Or we had other bars mapped out to watch uh, to watch uh, to watch your team play. So if so, now if you go into the app and you search for, let's say you're a uh, a Denver Broncos fan in uh, New York, you could type Which in Denver Broncos. I'm, I'm a Denver in, Broncos fan, so so there you go. So you could go if you're on business in New York or you're just displaced Broncos fan used to call the Mile High City home. You would just go into the app and you type in the words Denver Broncos and you'd see. Uh, every official location for the watch party, so you know where all the fans are hanging out. So that that's one of the ways that we've increased engagement is kind of going beyond just the day of the game at the stadium uh, use case to where people use the app for uh, watch parties. So you don't have to obviously be at the stadium to to find value there. People use the app for different meetups on a Tuesday night. You know, if hey we're all into sports tech or we're all into the the Jacksonville Jaguars, whatever it may be, the Jaguars probably aren't the greatest example because I don't know how many if they're the you know the the, the biggest fan base in the in the NFL, but um, <laughs> you'd be surprised, man. We're, we've we've gone through and we've we've taken a look at these different fan groups around the country, and you know it's it's amazing. Uh, and we actually there's there was actually some data that was released recently, and I, I think it mentions some more along the lines of that sixty one percent of fans don't actually live in the hometown of the team that they're rooting for. So just because I live in Dallas doesn't mean I'm a fan of the Cowboys. And that information was actually parsed from from Facebook. So Facebook with just troves of data, I think that's very interesting to look at the fact that there's a huge addressable market for fans who don't necessarily live in the market where that team is playing, but still want to have an association with maybe the team that they grew up rooting for or the team that uh, where they, you know, their 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 hometown is right just because they just because you move from from dallas to to los angeles doesn't mean you become a rams fan you're still a cowboys fan and so what we find out is more often than not that's the case and when people go out to los angeles or when they're in new york they want to associate with other people who uh have that same common interest or common bond we could be of you know two we could be a different age background ethnicity whatever it might be but if we're both cowboys fans then we're friends right and so that's Mm -hmm. that's sort of the that's sort of the, the the hypothesis or theory that we're that we're trying to capture in building these communities of sports fans that uh, revolve around the, that that common bond, which I would argue is the greatest common bond on the planet. Is who's who's your favorite team? Yeah, it's interesting. Like you know, fan being you know that short for fanatical, right? So people are obviously very passionate about their sports teams or their their cities or the pride that they have there. So um, when you talk about <clears throat> if the sports team itself was to you know partner with paranoid fan 
uh, for them to, uh, so that alignment from the, the fan standpoint, say, oh, you know, this, com- this my, my team is recommending I download this to have a better ga- game experience uh, at the actual venue or something. Is that something you guys have uh, thought about or uh, had success with? Yeah, so the, um, from a top-down distribution standpoint, as you mentioned, the team tells their fan to download the app. We actually have started to align ourselves with a few of those different uh, relationships and partnerships. And so two of the teams that we're excited to be working with this upcoming season that are uh, good to go and, and locked in and official are the Atlanta Falcons and the Oregon Ducks. So we'll be mapping out oh, wow. their venues in addition to identifying all of the official locations across the country where you can engage with and find other Oregon Duck fans or Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons fans in, in the same city as, as, as where you are. So to have that validation and to have that push from the teams is going to be huge for us. Now, we're not going to go out and partner with, with every single team on the planet. We're, we're going to limit this to, to maybe just a few or, or just several teams at most. But it allows us to, to once again, learn more about our, our, our consumer and our, our, our target user. And uh, it gives us a fantastic case study going into this upcoming football season as to how people are using and, and gaining benefit from, uh, from the app. So, Hunter, in talking about the uh, great opportunity you have with uh, the Oregon Ducks and, and the Falcons, uh, you know, talking about kind of revenue model, when, when you're making the value pop proposition to them and, and the pitch, I would imagine it's, you know, you're offering a great amount of data that they've never had before. Are you monetizing directly with them? Like, is that a B2B play or how are you guys kind of approaching that? Yeah, so that, that would absolutely be a B2B, B2B play with, with on the data side because there's, you know, big data has really taken on a, an initiative in the sports world. You know, and teams are using data for for a, a just a whole litany of different use cases. So, whether it's uh, in baseball, deciding where to position your infielders based on the uh, batting average of this player versus this pitcher, right? I mean, all of that data can get parsed and and used to win games. And so now we're starting to see the evolution of that data to where the fans are getting benefit from it too. To now, so it's not the data is not just affecting. Uh, the game and whether or not teams win and lose, but it's affecting how front offices and social teams use and manage and interact with with their uh, with their consumer. So using that data, it just uh, it creates more. It gives the teams more context when they, when starting those conversations with the fans. But for, beyond that, the data, um, a lot of these teams are approaching us and they're saying, "Hey, look, we're we're tapped out on the ad inventory uh, side of things, and even on the digital side, we can't just go and make up." Uh, this new stream of revenue. So when teams see our mapping technology, it excites them because um, they have brands who have on-site activations all throughout the day. And so if we can put a brand logo, a Bud Light, a Dick Sporting Goods, a Nike on the map, that way fans can identify and find it and get to it. That's just going to create a better experience for for everybody involved. And the brands are going to be happier too, because more people are showing up. So most of the time when, when, you know, Bud Light, for example, hosts these onsite activations. Most of the time, people just stumble across it and stumble into it. And um, we want to eliminate the, the the happen chance of that happening and uh, allow a fan to say, "Oh, hey, you know, Bud Light's giving away free beer before the game. Why don't we stop by and make a pit stop here?" And so we want to make that 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 sponsorship activation or that that uh, that exposure a part of the fans' uh, itinerary, right? As opposed to just stumbling into it, they plan on going into it instead. Um, so there's a big opportunity there where we're monetizing our maps, which at this point in time, there's no, t- I'd argue there's no team, uh, in any organization that's, you know, monetizing, uh, maps the way, the way we can. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really smart way of going about it. You know, rather than just the straight up banner ad play or whatnot, you're integrating right. that into the experience, right. And partnering up with, the. The organizations that uh, you know the fans really care about, from from the free beer sure. and the brands to their team, right? Well, now you're you're at this point where you know we've ad blockers are you know very prominent, thirty and sixty second ads, which I used to sell at, at ESPN, no longer no longer work. They don't uh, consumers don't empathize with with you know Don Draper pitching you for for thirty seconds or sixty seconds, however long it is. What people do resonate with and what people do enjoy is an experience that they can take home. So, like you know, going back to Bud Light, if they have a party or if Nike has a an activation where you get to test your high score against other people that are at the game that day, uh, you know, on the on the L drill, if they've got that set up outside the stadium, just as an example, um, bringing all those things into the mix and and and, and making sure that that 
you know, we can identify those things for the brands and the fans. It's a, it's a, it's exciting for, for the teams because they get additional revenue. It's exciting for the brands because they get to, uh, uh, they get to give an ex, uh, an experience to a consumer that they would otherwise not have had, and it's great for the fans too because you know anytime you walk away with with free stuff, especially if it's a beer or a Nike Fit band or, or whatever it might be, um, is is it it's a win win for 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 everyone involved. Yeah, they feel appreciated and part of the experience. I think the brands would love to see more people showing up to their their you know events and parties and that discovery being such a pain point. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, do you guys have any competitors you, you've seen around or uh, not yet? Yeah, so we haven't, you know, and I know that's like the worst thing to say to that question is we don't really have any competitors, but um, there's certainly people that are that are in the mapping space and they're in the the fan engagement, fan experience space, but there's really no one else that's combining the social and sports and mapping together like we are. Um, I know there are a couple different uh, venue apps that are that are uh, in the mix, but uh, there's really no one out there currently right now that's uh, that's doing exactly what, what we're doing. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a new space. And, you know, part of that is, is the difficulty that gets established in, in educating everybody as to what it is that we're doing. Right. Um, right. so it's almost first like first mover advantage, right? You know, yeah. For, yeah. You've, yeah. It's, it's almost like taking the hand of the fans and the hand of the, the programs and institutions and teams and saying, look, this is the future of sports. This is how we'll experience a game day moving forward is, without ever having to wonder where something is again, or you know, all those where answers are now established. Cause what we found in, in doing focus groups and speaking with different fan groups is that most of the difficulty on game day lies in discovery. You know, where it, where are my friends? Where do I park? Where do I, where's, where's the restroom? Um, so by addressing that um, we've solved a, a major pain point that I think makes it more uh, it makes, it makes it more enticing to go to games. It makes it more enticing to want to spend your hard earned money on going to a game, if you know you're not going to have some of the uh, headaches and pain points that you're used to dealing with when you when you go to a game, so if we can eliminate those, then we've we've done our jobs, and that's what we want to do. Because at the end of the day, we're just sports fans too, and we've we've experienced those problems firsthand ourselves. So we want to eliminate that problem as much uh, for ourselves as as most most importantly for everyone else. Right. It's always good to solve your own problem to an extent, right? Sure. That you can sure. like, oh, I really want this. So um, yeah. So you guys are iPhone and Android, is that right? Yeah, so we're iOS uh, exclusive for now. Android's being developed as we speak, and uh, and so we expect to have Android developed by the time football season starts. It's a, it's a must for for us is to make sure we're we're ready to roll out and have a have a good campaign this upcoming football season because we're going to have a lot of opportunities and uh, working with you know whether it's just different fan groups that are adopting the app, fans that are adopting the app, and and then of mm-hmm. course with the teams, we're going to definitely have every shot that we could imagine. Uh, to have a, a good year, a good year here uh, coming up. Yeah. So with the product experience, they can. Uh, so I, I'm in Hawaii, right? I can download the app, go to a UH uh, football game, you know, game opener, and I can um, do. Can I add in data to that? To that, or would you guys? Yeah. If it hasn't been mapped, is it going to be? How does that kind of work? Exactly. Yeah. So fans can still go in and 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 map. So that crowdsourcing element is still there. It's just that on the front end. We've just done a tremendous amount of, of work in, in, in populating and seeding that map with data. So I think we've, in a matter of uh, three months, we've went from you know several hundred uh, points of interest and pins on the map, and those were mainly just from different users, to having upwards of 10,000 uh, of those identified. And so we've got a mapping team that's that's been responsible for for finding those different points of interest. So. It's been uh, it's been really beneficial, and we've seen, like as, as I mentioned earlier, our engagement numbers have have uh, have been noticeably higher since putting in more data and more information on the map. Because once you've got the information there, it's useful to people, and once it's useful to people, they they engage with it and they enjoy, they enjoy using it. Right, right. Now you guys have a mobile site too that they can. Uh, you can't probably add new stuff, but can they uh, view content and still? Yeah. 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 So every time you, yeah. So every time you create uh, an event or you pin uh, a tailgate or a parking spot, whatever it might be, you're given a, a shareable web link that can give directions to that location. So it's a it's a one two click, turn by turn directions wherever it is you're, you're you're trying to go. So that's really one of the things that we wanted to eliminate was um, we've noticed on on some other uh, other different platforms the 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 goal of meeting up and mobilizing and 
getting somebody to a, a location can be buried five or six steps into engaging with that platform. And so what we wanted to do is where with that link, you click on that link and then you click get directions. I mean, it's, it's that easy to uh, get it, get, uh, get to where you're going. Um, and it's great so that's too a, because it's device agnostic more or less, right? Like I can I create it on my iPhone, but I can send it to my mom who's got, you know, an Android as you can check your email, exactly. you know, like anybody that has an internet connection can, can benefit, right? Exactly. Very cool. Uh, well, big football season kicking off. I know you got some exciting things coming down the pipe. What's, uh, what's kind of the coolest thing that you're just, you can't wait to be able to tell uh, or have for your paranoid fan fans, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think uh, personally, we're most excited. We're going to be going up to Eugene for a, a game in Oregon. That's always been uh, kind of a, a bucket lister goal of mine is to experience sports outside of Dallas, my hometown, and go to games in, in other parts of the country. So that'll be fun. But I think, I think big picture, what's most exciting is I want to give the same feeling that I've had in using the app um, to, to the, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of fans across the world. And I, I know how important sports are to me. And a lot of times looking back at my best memories, it's, it's going to games or, or, or concerts. And even, even in those best memories, I know there's, there's some difficulty in navigating the, uh, the scene. So I just want to, I want to make sure that we're able to share and duplicate, uh, that almost that sigh of relief that people experience when they, they finally know where they are in relation to where they're going. Um, and so we've had a chance to do that in, in bits and pieces throughout the summer. We've been doing some beta testing at different venues across the country, but it, it really is rewarding to me when, uh, a helpless group of friends walk up to a police officer and ask where something is. He can't help, you know, answer or identify that, that problem. And we walk up with the, the map and just, the, like I said, that sigh of relief people, people have when they finally realize where it is that they're trying to go. Um, I want to make sure that every fan has that. And so that's, that's big picture. What's going to be important for us is, is making sure that we can accomplish that this, uh, this season. Very cool, man. So I want to actually talk a little bit about, I know you're from Dallas, you're, you're building your company there. Um, obviously not. Yeah. I know you said you spent some time in Silicon Valley, but it's not typically known as a major tech hub as a, you know, maybe San Francisco, New York city, Boulder, Seattle might be those top U S cities at least. Um, can you maybe talk about your experience or choice to why, why you guys are deciding to build in Dallas? Well, Dallas is Dallas is home. So that's, that's, that's one important uh, matter. Right. Um, but also Dallas is, is, is fantastic in the sense that it's relatively cheap, uh, housing. Um, engineers are, are cheaper in Dallas as well. So we can minimize some of our costs by being in Dallas as opposed to maybe a New York or, or Silicon Valley. And then other than that, if we absolutely need to be in New York or Silicon Valley, San Francisco, we're, we're not averse to jumping on a plane and, and taking a meeting or, or, you know, getting on a plane and going wherever it is that we need to be. And because we're in Dallas, we're just two or three hours away from, uh, each coast. So mm-hmm. there are some advantages to being in Dallas and, you know, with the lay of the land today, I, maybe even five years ago, three years ago, you would have needed to be in uh, San Francisco to, to do something like this. But I think now with – and I mean I'm, I'm Skyping you from Honolulu. I think this yeah. is a perfect example of, of why uh, it doesn't necessarily matter where you are anymore is if you've got an idea and it's viable and you hustle hard enough and you execute and you put that idea into action, um, you can make it happen from anywhere in the world. And so being in Dallas is not – as uh, disadvantageous as, as as others might assume, because of the powerhouse that that San Francisco and New York are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I know I love kind of talking about Honolulu and, and and Dallas, and you know, even Steve Case has got the rise of the rest and the third wave, and I, I really do think that uh, you know quality companies are being built in cities and communities around the country, around the world. Um, and I know we got connected actually through. Um, uh, mutual uh, friend, mentor of yours through the Tech Stars Rising Stars group, and uh, he's building a successful startup in New York, and you know was able. To, he's got the Hawaii connection, but we were able to connect there. So maybe talk about your uh, your experience getting that kind of mentorship. How maybe some advice has just kind of you know really crystallized some things for you, or what that experience has been like. Yeah, so Rising Stars has been an absolute uh, blessing for us. I mean, I, I don't think we'd be in the same spot if if we hadn't. Uh, had that experience, and it was really the perfect catalyst for us coming off the heels of our our pitch at uh, Super Bowl Fifty, where we had the opportunity to present to uh, all thirty two NFL owners and the com- uh, and Commissioner Goodell 
our technology. So we got up on stage uh, at Stanford and that pitch was actually one of the ways that we got the deals uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. So it was the, the week after the Super Bowl, we got into the rising stars. So it was the perfect catalyst uh, and, and allows us to kind of like focus and make sense and and uh, drive the bus down the straight and narrow when we had all these things going on. And so that's what that's what mentors do, right? Is is they have the war stories, they have the uh, experience and know how. And a lot of times when you speak to them, you know they they revert back to experience they had that was just like yours. And so in referencing Michael, Michael's been fantastic as a mentor and the Rising Stars program as a whole because. As we're going through different negotiations with teams or we're, we're tinkering with different features in the product, I can go to Michael and just you know share that situation with him and then he can kind of walk us through it. And so you know we, we walk through it on the phone or on Skype and we kind of hash out a, a plan or a strategy. And then in some cases, the very next day, we're putting it into action and we're taking almost word for word the advice that we've been given from Michael or Another ment- any of our other mentors in the Rising Stars program, and putting that into actuality and into motion that very next day. Um, so having actionable ideas and actionable resources is is really valuable because I think a lot of times we can get on the phone with um, quote unquote mentors or, or just people who are, who, are, who are trying to help up, help out, but you get off the phone or you get done with the call and there's nothing actionable to it. There's no mm-hmm. intro to be made. There's no there's no idea to, to 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 be actualized. There's just there's nothing there aside from you know in some cases a great conversation which is great, but as a startup founder you've got to move a, a million miles a minute and uh, to have actionable ideas that come at the end of those conversations is very valuable and that was something I noticed was always there with the, with the Rising Stars program was actionable ideas that we could take and in some cases use the very next day. Yeah. Well, I'll give you guys credit too for incorporating the feedback, uh, you know, quickly as well. And um, you know, the, a lot of teams don't necessarily do that. So, kudos to you on that front, and uh, appreciate you kind of sharing, um, you know, about about your, uh, you know, again, access to just quality uh, mentors, people that have been there and gone through things that can really feed back in and kind of shave off hours or time or get you through to a contract and have that kind of enlightenment moment. Um, so, yeah. Um, Let's transfer to some quick Q&A rapid fire, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. All right. So I know you haven't been to our beautiful islands in Hawaii, but uh, what, is, what is one thing that maybe is on your bucket list for coming to Hawaii? What, what would you do? Well, I'm a huge adventurer. I love to get outside and, and, and have some fun. So I'd say probably hiking one of the uh, volcanoes. Obviously, I, w- I would prefer that it, it doesn't go off and isn't active while I, I hike it. But to, to peek into a crater... Um, I, I think would be in, in, in to see it in, 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 in the flesh, if you will, I think that would be a, a really, a really cool experience. And that'd be something I'd look forward to if I, uh, if I ever made my way out to uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Maybe, maybe catch a wave, uh, on a lava wave. Uh, I'd, I'd probably embarrass myself <laughs> trying to surf, but, uh, when in, uh, when in Hawaii, right. You gotta, uh, Absolutely. you gotta, you gotta yeah. at least give it a shot. You gotta try. You gotta do it. Um, Maybe put together real quick, like what your entrepreneur's toolkit would be. What what are some of the top three tools or resources, like whether it's a blog or a podcast or a book that's really been a great impact in your entrepreneurial journey that you can share with the audience? Yeah, so I think I think surrounding yourself with the right group of family and friends is probably one of the most important uh, one of the most important things an entrepreneur can do. You know, there a lot of times the news or developments in a in a founder's life are kind of discouraging and, de- and depressing. So to surround yourself with positive people, whether it's friends or family, is very beneficial. And uh, it kind of, you know, sometimes they can bring you, you know, give you your mojo back or they can give you your mojo in the first place if it, if it wasn't there because, you know, something just uh, – there's a massive fire going on or whatever it may be. So keeping a, keeping a group of friends and family close is probably my, my first uh, word of advice. Second, the, the, uh, a tool that I use every day is Slack. And so what I would advise to anyone listening is – Find your niche or find your interest and find a Slack channel uh, that that caters to that. And so what Any I've ones done. ones that you like or a part of? Yeah. So there's a, there's a sports tech uh, Slack channel. It's called Starters. And I've actually uh, built relationships with, with those guys. And to, 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 to just give you an example of how valuable – um, building the relationships are within that Slack channel. So it's not even so much the, the Slack channel 
and the information that comes through it. And granted, I get, you get some great insights there and they do AMAs and just do a lot of really cool stuff. But it's not even so much the insight or the information as it is the relationships that you build. So I actually had the opportunity to take over their uh, Snapchat account uh, about a week ago. And the Carolina cool. Panthers were watching. And so when the Panthers saw what we were working on, the Panthers DM'd us on Snapchat, which it's kind of like, what a time to be alive. It's, you know, 2016, look out, you know, you might get a, a DM on Snapchat from a, an, an NFL team or an NBA team. I mean, it's, you know, or a VC mm-hmm. even. So you can't count out any, any form of communication as far as, uh, you know, finding value from it. So if it weren't for that community and the relationships that we had built and the opportunity that we had created to, to go on to uh, their Snapchat and take over to kind of show them a day in the life of a paranoid fan, the Panthers, we would have never had that, uh, that, that conversation. So more than the information and the, the, uh, the insights on the channel, it's, it's about the relationships. So, you know, tr- t- try to keep an eye on who's, who's active in the community and who's posting what and what really caters to your interest and maybe your needs and, uh, shoot them a, shoot them a, shoot them a message, set up a Skype, set up, set up a Skype, Skype call, try to learn more about what they're doing and what's working and, and what's not working. And so I'd say that's the probably the second most important thing, or at least from a from a tool standpoint. Um, and then the, the third is 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 uh, this is you know I don't know what people necessarily think of this isn't this isn't the most scientific answer, but the third thing is persistence, uh, just pure persistence. And so one of the things that I learned in the corporate world is is that they'll tell you, um, hey, you're here, you, you showed up, and that's half the battle. Half the battle is showing up. Well, what you learn in the startup world is half the battle is sticking around. And <laughs> in a lot of cases that stick the, the the sticking around part is directly associated with your persistence and, and your ability to persevere and almost be inspired and almost relish in the negativity and the adversity and uh, discovering and, and seeing the challenge there. Um, I think that's extremely important for anyone who's, who's looking to go down this path is to, is to, almost get more excited about your losses than, than you do your, your wins because your, your failure is the strongest fuel that you have. And, uh, and, and I think having sight of that and, and, and persevering through some of those, those hiccups or those bumps in the road are extremely important. Cause if you quit, I mean, I know it goes without saying, but if you quit, it's, it's all over. But if you stay at it, um, you know, dumb luck might have it to where you, you, things work out and, and the plan all comes together. So giving yourself the time, to allow it to succeed is important. You know, I've been doing this for a year now um, after having quit ESPN full time and uh, uh, it still hasn't been enough time, right? I, there's still more time to, to be put into this, this venture and we're going to, we're going to make sure it, it, it gets the time it, it deserves. So um, persevere through those hurdles and, uh, and uh, re- almost relish the uh, opportunity to pick yourself up, the, pick yourself up off the mat and, uh, and win and I, you know, not to use the, the, the low hanging fruit analogy here, but LeBron James in uh, game seven, um, I, 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 games five, six and seven really just go to show the, the, the strength of perseverance and uh, the strength of willpower. And in some cases, they're really it really is just as simple as having those two things, perseverance and willpower. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that was, a, you know, a living example of, of how. Uh, those two things can can uh, can make you a champion. I guess in in, in the case of uh, in, in the case of LeBron. Yeah, absolutely. Now speaking of uh, champions and and teams, I know you're you're. Uh, I see the the Dallas Stars jersey behind you. You're you're a big sports fan. If you were to choose, like, what is your favorite sports team? Any can can you make that choice? I, I can actually. And so, like I said, I, I mentioned earlier, I grew up playing football. So you might think it'd be the Cowboys. I never played any hockey. Never, I've never laced up the skates in my life. But believe it or not, my favorite team is, is the Dallas Stars, the uh, NHL affiliate down here in Dallas. And so I think the reason that is, is because that's always been my dad and I's thing, right? Like as, as far back as I can remember, my dad and I have been going to the American Airlines Center or even before then, the Reunion Arena to, uh, to watch the Stars play. So I think because it's, it's, just that you know, it's it's that intrinsic value. It's it's uh, it's that uh, kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit since it's something I've been doing with my dad forever. Um, I'd have to definitely go with the with the uh, with the stars. 
And I think if and, and the way I answer that question or the way I, I, I try to make sense of it is what team would bring me the most euphoria if they won a championship? And knowing <laughs> that I'd get to share that with my dad um, makes it makes Which makes it the most the top, huh? makes it a little over the top. And uh, and I think being able, and that, you know that's what it all comes down to is uh, being a sports fan is, is having the opportunity to share those moments with with other uh, with other friends and, and other family members. So. Totally. Um, the fact that I've got the most family associated with the stars and uh, most friends and family associated with, with that experience is, is, uh, is the reason why I'd go with uh, the old stars. Yeah, no, I've never been to an NHL game, but I've been to uh, several, uh, several hockey games that are like uh, either college or, or um, kind of the, I don't know, minor leagues or whatever you call them. And man, hockey, live hockey games are phenomenal. Like they're so much fun. And uh, the- what a great experience. Yeah, the energy and electricity and just raw atmosphere at a hockey game is—it's uh, unmatched. It, it, it you cannot you don't get that feeling at any it's so other tight game in the too, world, right? Rather the massive volume of a huge football stadium outdoors, like you're in this little arena, mm-hmm. you're close. There's just, just the pucks going everywhere. It's just, you know it's exciting. So it's just uh, the the. The, the anxiousness, you know, every time the puck is in the zone, you're kind of clinging to your seat, you know, whether you think you're about to get scored on or score or score a goal, regardless, you're, you're clinging, uh, to the seat, just, you know, uh, waiting to see what happens next. And, and hockey is really the only, only sport where if you look away for five seconds, you could miss a goal. You know, every other sport, you kind of have a timing and, and there's a rhythm to it, but hockey, it's so free flowing and, and there's so much action going on. And it's brutal. I mean, it combines almost every sport into one. And the physicality is, is uh, sports science did a, a, a study on it and uh, found that uh, hockey is the most brutal sport based on the collisions that ha- that, that occur on the field of uh, field of play. So wow. uh, I, it, <laughs> I, I think uh, if anyone hasn't gone to a hockey game and they want to get into the sport, the best way to do it is to be at a game and to feel that uh, feel that feel that feel that electricity. All right, Andre. Um, one of our final Q and A uh, questions here at the end. Uh, what, what's someone, whether startup or life related, that's really inspired you, and who do you who do you look up to in your business? Uh, so I would probably I'd probably say my manager at uh, my first ever manager at, at the ticket in ESPN in Dallas. Um, you know, coming in out of college, I was very green, I was very uh, inexperienced, and so he instilled in, in me a lot of the discipline that is required to go about, you know, your day and, and make it to the end of the day with, uh, with having gotten a lot of, a lot of things done. And so one of the first things I learned that, uh, when I quit ESPN and I was on my own, I was working on paranoid fan was that I thought I was disciplined, but I was really just, I had so much respect for my manager that I wanted to make him happy. I wanted to, I wanted to hit my metrics. I wanted to hit my goals. And so I learned that a lot of the discipline that he instilled in me was, was there only because, you know, he was kind of driving that, that, that bus, if you will. And so I learned a lot and I learned a lot quickly, um, after first starting that, you know, to kind of pick up the pieces of the discipline that he had taught me and put that back together. And so I actually met with him and I spoke with him throughout that, um, you know, throughout that process. And so he's, he's been, he's been a valuable mentor to me, not only when I was working at ESPN, but even afterwards and, and helping guide me towards different decisions and, um, you know, he was, he was the first manager I had. And I'd, I'd say next to my, my own dad, he's the second most influential, uh, you know, male figure in my life. Uh, you know, I saw him every day. Um, and you know, he took a big chance on me. I was, I was, you know, I was 22 years old coming out of school and, and getting the opportunity to, to work, uh, to work there at ESPN and the ticket. You know, that just wasn't something that a lot of, you know, young kids had, had the opportunity to do. So the fact that he, you know, everyone always shouts out, the person who gave them that first chance. And I'm the same way. I, I think that's really important to, to look back at, you know, who was the first person to open that door for you. And, uh, that would be, uh, that would be my manager, Alec at, uh, at the ticket in ESPN. Cool, man. Now one more, um, kind of final tips for, um, for entrepreneurs or piece of advice you have. But before I kind of ask that question, I uh, just want to give actually you a quick shout out. Now, you know, I know it's not easy to take that leap of faith and quit your dream job, pursue a startup, and uh, you know, and do that. But you did it. it takes guts. 
Uh, so keep pursuing the dream. And, you know, I think the greatest thing about startups and what you guys are doing is, you know, if you want to replicate the great experience you've had with the product to the, the millions of other people that are out there and kind of on this mission to do that. So give you tons of credit. You know, the great thing about technology and startups is that you can have that huge impact. Uh, not to say that, you know, it would been a great track for you to keep going at ESPN, but I'll give you a lot of credit, man, to pursue the startup dream. So keep going at it. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was uh... – I was definitely, you know, it's, it's still looking back. It's one of the hardest parts of my life was, was making that decision. But I feel very confident a year, ba- a year later looking back and, and looking at all the experiences that we've had uh, building the, the company. I, th- I think there's plenty to speak to and, and plenty that will, uh, you know, push me forward regardless of, uh, you know, what, what happens or, or uh, you know, where we, where we move down the road. So, you know, the experiences are invaluable and I wouldn't have had those without making the leap. So I'm glad I did it. Absolutely. So you got any, uh, any final tips or any piece of advice you want to leave for our audience or entrepreneurs, anybody listening? Yeah, I would say, you know, following the theme of, of just go for it. Um, here's what I would do. Um, if you've got a job and you're working your job right now, don't just quit your job to start doing your startup. Give it some time to marinate and percolate and give it some time to become viable. And once you get to the point where, the startup needs you and doesn't want you, but it needs you full time. And there's really no like, you know, parameter to this. It just kind of happens. And it's, it's almost like a feeling you just have to identify it and know it. But once that comes, make the leap and go you, just because, you know, you have a fantastic job doesn't limit you to, um, you know, going down a different path. Right. And so I think, you know, the, the old saying life's what happened. Life's what uh, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. Um, you know, don't, don't be aloof to some of the opportunities that might be there beyond what's, you know, right there in front of you. Awesome. Well, it was fun chatting Hunter. Now I do have one final question. I was looking at some of your, your esports days and old man Mikowski. Uh, yes. <laughs> was that the, the name that was feared amongst halo fans and players around the world? So it became to be. Yeah. So when I was going about the process of making a, a gamer tag, I wanted to I wanted to find something that would trick other gamers into thinking I was totally incompetent and, you know, nothing to fear on the uh, virtual battlefield. The game so before watching, the game. <laughs> right. The game before the game. Oh, hey, dude, if you're a gamer, you just you, you get it. Uh, so I was watching Dexter's Laboratory and this is God, this. I was, you know, I was a teenager at the time. This is way back. I was watching Dexter's Laboratory and. One of the characters that just got continually picked on uh, by everyone in the show was Old Man Mikowski. He was the old man that lived next door that had, you know, poop in a bag lit on fire and he'd stomp it. I mean, he was just the guy that everyone picked on. So I thought, man, what? That is the least intimidating, you know, most uh, inconspicuous name you could imagine. No one's going to assume that Old Man Mikowski is going to come out and wreck. Uh, so that worked for, uh, you know, not too long because once I went to my first tournament and people saw that I was, you know, just a, you know, a pretty, just a young kid, uh, the, the, the gig was up, right? I wasn't, you know, and, and for a long time, people thought I was, you know, some 50, 60 year old guy at work. You know, people thought I was old man Mikowski. So kind of a fun backstory to how I got my gamer tag and, and uh, yeah. how that's lived on through, through the years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, awesome to have you on the show again. We'll let you get back to the, um, you know, hot summer afternoon in Dallas and, um, hopefully your stars will, will do well next year. It didn't work out for them this year, but, uh, yeah, you got Arkansas football coming up. You got Dallas football coming up. So uh, congratulations on success to date with paranoid fan and, uh, big stuff you guys got coming down the pipe. So thanks Luke. I appreciate it, man. It was fun getting a chance to, to share the experience and the story with you. And, uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon and, uh, take care. Absolutely. Thanks man. All right, man. Bye. Thanks a ton to Hunter for being on the show. Please, guys, share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review on iTunes. It really does make a difference, and I would be grateful to you forever. Now, this is episode one of our special sports tech programming just in time for the Olympics. Tune in next week for our second episode with Starters founder, Troy Rudiger. This is the Startup Catalyst Podcast, guys, brought to you by Sultan Ventures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker, signing off. Really appreciate you guys sticking around. We'll see you next week when we chat with Troy. Thanks, guys.